Welcome to the Sisters on the Front Lines podcast, where we unite with Christ to combat the shame surrounding young women struggling with pornography and share our stories and insights to gather more tools and weapons to fortify our stance on the front lines in the war against pornography. Okay, all right, welcome to this next episode of the Sisters on the Front Lines podcast. Today I am joined by a very special guest. If you have listened to probably almost any podcast that I've been a guest on or my very first podcast, I usually always read this text called There is Only War. If you haven't heard it, go listen to that before you listen to this episode. We will read it in this episode, but just go listen to it. (laughs) But anyway, I'm here with the one and only author of that text, who also just happens to be my dad. And we were talking before, and I was like, I don't know how to introduce you. I don't know if I should talk about his career or like, I don't know what's relevant. So, Dad, what did did I like miss? Like, (laughs) how do I introduce you? What did you miss? It covered super awesome. So that's pretty much it. So what are you asking me to introduce myself? Sure. Yeah. I'm Maddie's dad. Three time winner winner of the amazing child lottery. That's about it. Okay. (laughs) Fair (laughs) enough. Sweet. I turned 50 in like one month. And And how do you feel about that? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm fine with it. It's I have a really great beard. We could talk yeah. about that. Oh, yeah, um, unfortunately for everyone listening, we don't post the video to this, but definitely look up my dad's beard after. Okay, or don't. That that's a weird. <laughs> we should start this by apologizing to your little sister Finley who edits these because <laughs> this is gonna be a disaster. From this is going to be the editor's disaster. Like First and foremost, Finley, strike everything we just said about the beard. That was weird. No. But I'm guessing the way you and I communicate with each other, this is going to be, <laughs> let's just say, we are in, you're, you're about to enter the, the <laughs> handed twilight zone. Literally. Yeah. Just so everyone knows, ADD runs rampant in our family. <laughs> so you're in for a wild episode. Okay. Well. We won't we'll try to not get on too many tangents, but my dad's tangents are really good, so I might just let a couple slide. But I just want to start with the there is only war text. And so for anyone who hasn't heard about that or heard it before, what's kind of the story behind it? Because I've kind of summarized it, but maybe there's some parts that I'm missing or maybe I'm not even telling it right. So what's the story firsthand behind that text? So, all right. So the background is... I was, we lived up in Cache Valley. I was, I was in this period of time at work where I needed to be down at our company headquarters for several days in a row. Your older brother was, I think he was probably 14 or so at the time, 14 or 15. And he had been struggling off and on with pornography. He had been meeting with the, the ecclesiastical leader of our area in our, in our LDS faith, a bishop from time to time kind of going you know through this process and 
he he had had this amazing. Actually, he was probably a little bit older because he the year before we had had this amazing experience where we'd been able to go out to up, upstate New York and and participate in this pageant thing up there as a this kind of outdoor play thing that we put on telling some of the stories of the Book of Mormon. And he had been able to go out earlier and be part of this work crew. And it's this amazing experience. They do a ton of work building this entire complex stage thing. And he, he did really well at it. It's, it's a pretty neat experience. They, they, what's called set them apart as full-time missionaries. And, and then the next summer they had asked him to come out as to be a leader of, of the work crew groups. And he was really excited about that. And, and one of the things you have to do in order to have that is you have to get this ecclesiastical endorsement. And, and so he had been, you know, going through the process of getting that endorsement saying that, you know, this is a young man of, you know, of, of principles and worthy of this, I guess, opportunity. And so, he had been struggling with with pornography a little bit throughout this period, and he he called me. I was I had to step away from a meeting to take the call, and he called me, and he was just really really down, like super super frustrated. He had met with the bishop, and the bishop had kind of said, "Hey, either get this under control, or you know, he, he kind of extended the period of time that he wouldn't be able to participate in you know certain things in the church and." And, and it kind of said to him, I either, you know, knock it off or I'm going to pull your ecclesiastical endorsement and, and you won't be able to go do this thing. And which is something that I, that, that he really wanted, I wanted for him, your brother really wanted it and I wanted for him. And, and, and I knew it'd be an incredible experience. And, and so he was calling and, and essentially saying, listen, I don't even know if I want to do it anymore. Like I, I, I feel like I'm you know, I'm probably not the kind of guy that gets to do that kind of stuff. And he was just so frustrated and he was being really, really hard on himself, which, you know, I think, you know, we all can tend to do. And so I kind of said, Hey, I love you. I need to jump back into this meeting. You are fine. You're, you're, you are not bad. You are not evil. Let me, let me think about this and I'll get, get back to you. And so and that the I didn't I wasn't able to get back to him until after he had gone to bed, and so I sent him that text. And and that I, I was pretty angry, honestly. Like I I think my initial reaction was I, I called a trusted friend of mine up there who was had probably the the best leader of young men that I've ever worked with, and and told him like I will spend any amount of money tomorrow. I will move my family down here out of that ward, but not letting, you know, letting someone make my son feel like this. And, and so I was, I, I think my initial reaction was probably the more Ben informed reaction. And then <laughs> I'm, luckily I had some time that night to sit down and just send him a text and, and say how I really felt about things. Wow. Oh, it's so cool. And it ended up being like the coolest text ever. You said, so, okay. I, I really liked a couple things you said there. You said that like, my brother was like, I'm not the kind of guy who does that stuff, you know, as far as the church stuff goes. And I think a lot of times we like, we say that to ourselves and in, in, like you said, we say that to ourselves a lot in atomic habits. It talks about this lady that lost like a hundred pounds or something just because she asked like every single decision throughout the day, what would a healthy person do? 
And it's like, it's so crazy because that is such a switch. And I think actually in the recent, I, I don't know, it was some like worldwide devotional for maybe young adults or something, but they were like, ask yourself the question, what would like a disciple of Christ or a worthy young adult or something do? And like, I think that's so interesting because it it's just like, yes, sure, we know these things about our identity, but are we like, are we actually living them do you know what i mean like are we actually living as like a son or daughter of god and do we actually like believe that oh we're the kind of people that do these things and no it's just hard because satan really likes to attack it and and pornography is a really good way to do that i also yeah i think i'm sorry no go ahead i was just gonna say i think the the i i agree with you that it it's identity based i i think we often think about our decision making as if it's this very deliberate calculus that we're constantly doing, like, you know, should I, in the, like the story that you just talked about, the girl from Atomic Habits, like, um, you know, should I eat the bar or not? And, and, and so I love the idea of, you know, would a healthy person do this? I, I think we, our decision-making really isn't like that. Like we don't sit down and do these big cost benefit analysis and then say, okay, yes, I will eat the candy bar. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. We simply do, you know, 99, there are times when we sit down and make very deliberate decisions like that, but 99% of the decisions we make, we simply do whatever we see ourselves doing, right? So it's not just, I don't think it's just about what would a, you know, what would a healthy person or what would a worthy child of God do? It's how well can I truly base my identity on what is real, right? Like, all right, our, 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 our happiness is determined often by the decisions, our behaviors that we make. Our behaviors are determined by simply what our identity is. We do what we see ourselves doing. Mm-hmm. We act, we see ourselves being, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so the closer you can tie that identity to who you truly are, mm-hmm. the better your behavior is going to be, and therefore the better your happiness is going to be. It Our unhappiness comes when we lose that identity when we when when our behavior is not based on who we truly are but based on some misrepresentation of that yeah and it's it's true because there are a million things in the world that are trying to tear away that identity right and just trying to twist it just a little bit like we talk about satan is the master of imitation right and so even those things that don't sound bad at face value like oh i'm confident because i'm pretty or i'm confident because i'm smart or i'm confident because like I get the straight A's or because, you know, whatever, like, like all of those things, you just can't base your foundation in it, right? Like I love Helaman 512 because it talks about base your foundation on Christ because that is a foundation whereon if men build, they cannot fall. And that is the only foundation that if men build, they cannot fall. And so like, anyway, I don't know. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. (laughs) Well, so, yeah, I, I totally agree. I love the story, that, that story of the sons of Helaman, for example, because it talks about, you know, they talk about their mothers, right? And and how so much of what they learned and and the sense of commitment that they had came from the things that their mothers had taught them and the dedication that they had to their mothers. But yet then in 512, you get this, hey, base it on Christ. And, mm-hmm. and that's because even their mothers will fail them, right? Their mothers at times, and their fathers, like, I I think I've told this to you so many times, like, hey, I will fail you. Like, there are times, I have, I will, there are times that I will see you 
not in the perfect eyes that you, that your heavenly father and that your savior will see you. And so it is while, while I am so grateful for all the people in my life, including you that are capable of seeing me through eyes that are pretty close to the way the perfect beings in my life see me, I, I recognize that they are imperfect just like mine are. And, and so that's why that relationship and, 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 and what's said in Helaman 5.12 is so important because no matter how good I am, and I'm not that great, but no matter how good I am as your dad, I'm going to fail you. And it's, it's so important that you, that you have that relationship. It's why, you know, one of the things that I think I, I said to you guys a lot growing up is if you take only one lesson into adulthood, mm -hmm. like if you literally only learn one skill, one thing, just learn how to repent, right? Not because I am fearful that you're going to be so sin laden, right? <laughs> and have all this right. repent about. I just want you to have a strong relationship with that entity that will see you perfectly, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love the, like, that's kind of a scary thing to admit, I'm sure, as a parent of, like, I'm going to fail you. I'm almost guaranteed to fail you. And I think... It's not, I actually. Think... It's actually the it's actually the most liberating thing you can admit. As yeah, a parent, right, right. right. Because, because otherwise, it's all on me, right? Yeah. Like, otherwise, you are simply a reflection of my poor decisions. Mm -hmm. Right. No, it's true. And, I, I like, I think a lot of times parents kind of don't, aren't able to overcome that and do see that as a scary thing though, but you're right. It is a very liberating thing. And, and it's hard because the parents really just want someone that their kid can go to. Right. And they're not going to fill them. Right. And so they feel like they have to fill that, fill that gap. Right. But you know, when, when Christ enters the picture and, and when heavenly father enters the picture, it's like, well, that's it. You know, like, that's it. Like that is the parents role to point them to, to that that's super interesting and I also I love like I don't think I realized how awesome that was that that was what you wanted us to walk away with from like when we leave the house or whatever you want us to know how to repent and I think for a while I did kind of look at it as like okay like think there's something wrong with me <laughs> no I'll show you I'm gonna keep up this perfect image and then that's what led to, <laughs> to like hiding the like hiding pornography forever and that wasn't anything that you did. That was that was a me thing for sure. But that's one of my fascinating. I like when you sent me, you know, we told me, you know, any questions. Like, well, one of my questions, I think you just answered it. Like the why, I I think I knew what was going on, and I I knew that if you felt like I needed to be involved in your process, I I, I felt like you would trust me and and bring me in, but I didn't feel like I needed to interject myself into your process, but. I wondered why, like what I, I, you know, there, I've heard you talk about on some of your podcasts, you know, tell people like, no, I hadn't said anything to my parents. In fact, I didn't say anything until later. And, and I think it's one of the things like you just kind of said that, well, I'll show you, I'll be a perfect kid. It's one of my greatest fears as a father too. Like you, the reason you hesitated, if I'm understanding you correctly is because, because you, you are and were this amazing kid. Right. And, 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 and why would you do anything to tarnish that image in my mind? Right. And I think it's one of the things that, cause I have the exact same thing. Like I can't tell you how often I struggle with the fear that someday you're going to figure out that I'm really just a human, right? Like that I'm just this 
super flawed, you know, regular average human being. And that's always been, you know, one of my fears. It's, it's probably one of the things that, you know, it it's, it's, I think it's one of Satan's greatest tools to, to somehow, if he can get us to project that same fear onto our relationship with God and, oh, you know, he knows, or if he, if he only finds out like who, that I, how weak I really am and how lame I really am, you know, how could he truly love me? Like he wants to take that, what's really a mortal fear that doesn't make that sense, that much sense with God. Cause he knows, like he knows exactly who we are. Right. Yeah. But, but I think that's a mutual fear that we both struggle with. Yeah, no, it totally is. And I think we're, I mean, we're just very similar in general, the way that we think, but I loved on the like unashamed unafraid podcast. Like, I don't know, like when you listened the host, Steve Shields, who's just a total baller. Steve Shields, if you're listening, I love you. I think you're awesome. <laughs> but anyway, what? It was so good. It seriously was one of my favorites I've ever gone on. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes for anyone who listens. Like, seriously, like, if you're going to listen to any of the podcasts I've been on a guest on, go listen to that one. I'm, like, their biggest fan. They're so cool. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> anyway, he was talking about, like, like I was, I was kind of talking about how I upheld these expectations for myself of perfection, right? And and he was talking about how if Satan so much as gets you to believe that perfection is attainable in this life, like that makes it really easy for him to work in all of his other tactics, right? Because yes. it, it just, you know, it's like an all or nothing approach and that is not at all what we came here to do. I actually heard it was cool. And in sacrament meeting today, someone was giving a talk and they said, if you're making mistakes, that means you're following God's path for you. And I was like, dang, like we really don't look at it that way, but it's true. Yeah. This idea, if he can convince you that you're not enough, he's got a massive foot in the door and the, the, perfection is here and you are light years away from it is one of his best tools for you are not enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. I loved like kind of rewinding just a little bit. Cause I don't want to move on without talking about this, but I loved how you said that, like, that's what you wanted us to walk away with. Right. Was the ability to repent. And I think I didn't like really realize what that was because I think since we only use the word repent, in the church like it's just kind of tied with like oh you know you go confess to your bishop tell him what you did then move on with your life and I was like okay sure I'll learn how to do that I guess (laughs) but like when you look at the literal definition of repent it is just how to change so like yeah if I was walking away from my childhood knowing how to change you're right that is the only thing I need I need to know how to do because then like Nothing is unconquerable, you know, because I know that I have the ability to change. And so I think that's so important. I think if, if any parents are listening, that's a good one to teach your kids. <laughs> I think I think there's one more element to it because it is about how to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the whole there is only war, like I get really uncomfortable with that being shared and, and, and kind of the, and I, you know, I, you, it's, it's, it kind of made its way around in some other circles and especially in addiction recovery circles and things like that. And, and I, I, I'm fine with that, but I get, I get a little bit worried about it because it was a very specific text written for a very specific thing. And 
and I, I'm uncomfortable with people applying it, you know, sometimes broadly and just because no one should look to me for sources of wisdom. I hope that the parts in there that are wisdom are not me, but, you know, influenced by something bigger than me. But there are these three elements that I think you have to look at. There's, it, it's actually contained well in the serenity prayer, you know, that is pretty common in addiction recovery circles. God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, right? So these two elements of, of serenity and courage, there is only war is is a message that's skewed heavily towards the courage side of that, right? Not necessarily, it talks about serenity, but it's, it's heavy on the courage because in that moment, that's what I think was the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so that there is, repentance is not just the courage to change, it's the serenity sometimes to accept in a moment that I, I cannot or I'm unable to, or right now I'm not being called upon to change that, right? And so it's, I, repentance is the ability to recognize a dependence on a higher power. It's the ability to, as you said, change and to give yourself grace and serenity in, mm. in, in the process. Yeah. And the, we all struggle with different aspects of that. You know, my, like courage has, hasn't been really my struggle. I can muster courage fairly well. Serenity mm-hmm. has been a challenge mm-hmm. for me. And the one that's harder than all than the other two is wisdom for me. Like the, my ability to understand the difference, you know, when this is something that I can and must change and when this is something that I can't and that I need to exercise serenity around that, that wisdom is probably the one. of those three the one i struggle with most yeah oh that's so good and i loved i i remember another one of the things that you'd always say to me especially when i was like so mad like i would get so mad at myself and still sometimes do when i like have unproductive days you know and like if i've like you know like couldn't get myself out of bed that day or like something just I didn't hit every checkbox on my to-do list or whatever. And you were like, allow yourself grace. And it's interesting because coming from you, we are so similar in that way. Like we like, we like getting the to-dos done and we like having productive days. Right. And so to hear that from you, it took me so long to actually understand what it meant because I heard allow yourself grace. And then I was like, yeah, Yeah, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not copying out of that. Yeah, sure. Maybe that's like, tell that to everyone else but like i'm gonna get my stuff done <laughs> like you know <laughs> like anyway <Right>. so... <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly okay hopefully for anyone listening you didn't notice a weird pause but now you're gonna notice it but i had to go because i had to take a call but we're jumping back in so we were talking about grace and you know, how grace is for wusses and <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but we were talking about how we, we use an excuse when you couldn't get the job done. Right. Like, exactly. Yeah. exactly. No. And so it's, it's kind of interesting because we have such a silver mindset on it. And I think we are absolutely like not alone in that mindset. And a lot of times we look at like, you know, I'm sure for anyone listening, you can really relate. Like you look at that as kind of maybe a cop out and you're like, well, you know, like I was just lazy or whatever, or, or you just kind of like beat up on yourself. Right. And so I I think it's, it'll be interesting to hear this conversation from two people who are very like 
very similar to that. And how did our understanding of grace change? And so actually, let me just ask you that question. Like you always told me, allow yourself grace. And I'm like, that's for wusses. How did that understanding like, how did you come to an understanding of that enough that you could like comfortably tell your kid, allow yourself grace? Hmm. I mean, first of all, let me apologize for all of my horrible traits that <laughs> passed off you. I, I I want nothing more than for you to struggle with the next set of battles, not the set of battles that I came with. You know, I don't know that I'm, I, I'm certainly not there yet. I am not a great practitioner of grace. I, I would not consider myself that. But I think it's one of those things that, that, it's one of those lessons that are you are required to learn and you can either learn it of necessity or of your own will you know it's like mm-hmm. this experience is the best teacher and a fool will learn by it alone if you can learn the lesson of grace without having to you know go through be at the the depths of despair where grace is your only option i think mm-hmm. that's a little bit better way to learn it but I, you know, I, I think it's, it's been in the, in the moments when, yeah, I think I've, unfortunately, I think I've been foolish in the way that I learned grace because I, I tend to only extend it to myself when it's literally the last option. Mm-hmm. I'm getting better at that. I, I am. I, I think that, you know, in that we were talking about the serenity prayer and I think the, the first part of my life I spent being trying to get really good at the courage, you know, like the, I, I, I'm going to force an outcome here. I'm the master of my domain. I'm a titan of industry. And, you know, I, what, a CEO, CEO that I used to work for one time paid me a compliment that I thought this is the greatest compliment anyone could ever give me where he said, if you just give Ben a goal, whether you think it's attainable or not, just tell him like, you know, put a battery in his back and tell him that's where you're going. He will will it into existence. And I thought, absolutely, I will will anything I need to into existence. And and then then I've come across a few things in my in my life that I was not able to will into existence. And in those moments, grace became pretty important to me because the only other option at that point, if you're not willing to give yourself grace, the only other option is utter defeat. Right. Mm. And Oh, and so the the bad surrender, you know, the the there's only war talks a little bit about surrender, and I guess we're going to get into that later. But there's yeah. a bad surrender, there's a good surrender. Absent grace, you're only left the bad surrender, and so I think it's it's through those experiences. And I, you know, I think that was still a very kind and and even gracious thing that that CEO said about me. But I'm constantly in this battle around what, again, for me, it's this wisdom. It's the wisdom part. It's the how do I know whether this thing that's in front of me right now is one of those things that I'm supposed to have the courage to change or supposed to have the wisdom to understand that I can't change that? Mm. Oh, that's so good. My no, draw. It's horrible. It's horrible. No, but, but like, but it's so good to even just have that understanding and like you just put it into words that I can't put it, put words to. And there, there's grace that comes along also with the absence of the wisdom because it's not just you know, allow myself the serenity and grace to, for this thing that I can't change. But when I don't know the difference, grace must come in, right? Like Mm. 
Because if I don't know whether it's something that I'm supposed to go endeavor to change or whether it's something that I'm just supposed to let lay against me and, and, and have serenity around the fact that that's not something I'm going to change, when you don't know, you also are required to give yourself grace in the not knowing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. And uncertainty is actually a really good thing. We don't talk about that enough, but imagine, yeah. like, I, I was just, like, thinking about this, like, all the time, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just want the answer to this question right now. I want to know, like, what are the next 50 years of my life going to look like? But uncertainty makes life so exciting. Do you know what I mean? Like, like yeah, it's scary and whatever, but, like, are you kidding me? If I knew what the next 50 years of my life would be, that would be so boring. But but I, I loved – sorry, that was, like, a little tangent, but <laughs> – we gave uh, all of all of you guys listening a warning, so <laughs> you're still listening. <laughs> Please refer to the disclosure at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I love, like, grace is literally essential to progress. And a lot of, like, it, it just kind of goes back to what we were saying about, like, perfection. Like, that's just not a thing, <laughs> you know? And I love in your There is Only War, it talks about, like, and you know what? I just realized we are we're talking about this whole text and we haven't even read it on here. So let's get into that. But it, it talks about like may, maybe in the next life, but just not in this life. Right. I don't know what your exact phrasing of that is, but it's just crazy that we try to uphold this idea of perfection. And and yeah, we're like, oh, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. But do we actually live it? Right. And so, yeah, I just love that you say like it's attainable. Sure, it's attainable in the next life but not on this one. So why are we even living like it's something that, that we can't attain, right? Or pretending that it's something that we can't attain. And I think you're so, like, I loved what you said about the, like, grace is essential to progress because you have the the two different types of surrender, right? And it's just like, yeah, you can either take the perfection, like, when you mess up, you can either take the perfectionistic point of view and say, oh, I'm a failure. We're never continuing that with that again. That's over. Or you can allow yourself grace and say, here's what I learned. Here's how we're moving forward, right? Like, it's just, it's so helpful. It's such a good mindset to have. Um, okay, we need to, like, actually read it now. So I'll, I'll have you, I've read it over and over, and so I want it coming from your voice, the author's voice. So go ahead when you're ready, and then we'll just kind of discuss it after. Okay, there is only war. There is no peace. There is only war. I believe in serenity, stillness, civility, and tranquility, but not peace. Peace, when defined as the absence of conflict or war, is a myth, an imposter, a lie. It's a false god we've been taught to worship by pansies and evildoers. There is only war. I believe in winning, but not victory. There is no ultimate or final victory at least not in this life, and candidly, the next life seems less attractive if the concept of a final victory exists. But I'll leave that to a much wiser general than me. My heaven is Valhalla. There is only war. But how can there be only war? What about surrender? There is no peace through surrender. Surrender is simply one's decision to, de to declare war on themselves. The war continues after surrender. It gets more costly, futile, and painful. There is only war. I want to celebrate winning with you and honor every day of your fight. I want to be yoked together in this war. Whether you've, <laughs> whether you've won or lost any particular battle, 
on any particular day doesn't matter to me at all. I want us to be fueled by the brotherhood that comes from going to war together. I want to be bloodied, exhausted, humbled, and yet undeterred from the path, the war path. There is only war. Would you agree to text me first thing when you wake up and last thing before you go to bed and tell me whether you're winning or losing? Please don't ever hesitate if when the text is, I'm losing. That is the one that matters most because it means we're still in the fight. There is no peace. There is only war. Love the war. I love being in it with you. So what are your reading that back a couple years later? What are your thoughts on it? I mean, it's still very moving to me. I obviously, I remember the sentiment of writing it that, that night. I, like I said, this was not my original reaction. I think one of the questions that you had said you wanted to discuss was something that one of you in one of your podcasts. Oh yeah. Someone, yeah. Someone was like, was like, after I read that, they're like, man, so your dad's been through some stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I, anyway, I I thought that was like a funny reaction because I was like, well, yeah, I guess that that's got to come from somewhere. Right. (laughs) So Anyway, sorry, continue with what you're doing, but then I, I want to ask, like, what experiences experiences in your life do you feel like taught you the eternal pr- principles that are outlined in that text? But if, continue with what you're saying if you're... Well, yeah, so what I was going to say is I would love to think that that text was just informed by all of my experiences. And and here's what I can tell you. I think if I, if I had immediately just said to your brother the things, the reaction that was based on my experiences it would have been a very different reaction, right? So so I don't think the principles contained in there are necessarily, I, I think I would hope that they're informed by my experiences, but I, I would hope that there was, you know, a much big, bigger source of wisdom that was guiding the answer. Because again, my experiences would have been, and as I told you before, like they were, that's it, you know, I'm we're moving the family out, out of that ward tomorrow and, you know, I, I'm going to go find a bishop that will actually, you know, not make my son feel like he's the worst kid on the planet. And, and, you know, I, the, my initial reactions were probably more informed by my experiences. My, my childhood experiences tend to give me a bias towards justice versus mercy, especially when I see someone that I feel is kind of being picked on, I guess, a little bit, which I think incorrectly in that moment, I probably felt like your brother was being picked on, you know, Mm -hmm. by his theastical leader. And so, so to the question, what experiences, you know, led to that, I would hope that the, the biggest experience that led to me saying what I did in that message was that I paused and prayed and, and sought wisdom from that wiser general. Um, Mm -hmm. and then said that instead of, you know, what, my initial reaction would have been yeah yeah I love it take a second and pause we talked about a little bit about the good and the bad surrender and in that text it says how can there only be war what about surrender there's no peace through surrender surrender is simply one's decision to declare war on themselves war continues after surrender it gets more costly futile and painful there's only war And we've had conversations about this, but I thought it was super interesting 
and I want you to touch on it, but I mean, we, you know, like the, the addiction recovery program, right? Like that is their first step is admit that you are powerless to it and it's surrendering before God. And so I want you to clarify what is the surrender that you're talking about there? Yeah. So that was primary, primarily a reaction to my initial reaction, like my initial reaction in hearing, you know, I think any parent, when they hear their child just, you know, frustrated and beat down and and feeling just so battle weary and feeling like the battle itself is telling them that they're unworthy. My initial reaction was to say to him, and I didn't say this, but I got angry on the one side, you know, that someone would make him feel so unworthy and not enough. And on the other side, I just wanted to tell him, hey, just put the battle down for a little while. Like, it's okay. You are not losing, you know, you just because, you know, someone in your life sees it this way, like, just take a rest. Like, you've been fighting this battle and just muscling through it and just set set it down for a while and realize, like, just bask in your own goodness and your, your, your own grace. Like I wanted to say to him, just stop and give yourself some grace, right? Which may, may have been in certain situations, there could have been the right, the right message. But at the place that he was at, I felt like he still, like this was a, a time not to say, hey, stop, lick your wounds, give yourself some space. But I felt like that he was viewing this too much about some sort of a battle in between him and his ecclesiastical leader. And I wanted him to understand this was about him, a battle between him and, and what he was becoming and who he truly was. Right. And so I wanted him to kind of stay in, I felt like it was important that he stayed in that fight. And so the surrender that I was referring to there was the just saying, Hey, listen, it's not that bad of a thing, you know, or it, you know, everybody does it. So it's okay. The, you know, when you see someone who is in an, in some sort of an addiction recovery process, and sometimes you can see people that are like, you know what, this isn't that bad of a thing after all. I don't know why I'm putting all this energy towards stopping this, this addictive behavior. And I'm not talking about stopping, you know, just bad behaviors, but these true things that have become truly addictive in your life. So you can see some people sometimes like say, you know, I just, I, I, I'm just not going to fight this fight anymore. And, and that to me, that type of surrender is when like the battle doesn't stop. It's mm-hmm. just you saying, Hey, instead of battling this external force that I'm trying to deal with this, this thing that is drawing me away, I am going to just turn inward and say, because it does, you, 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 you can't truly, at least on a long-term basis, convince yourself of something that, you know, isn't true like that, that we have this light that is drawing it as towards truth and that dissonance that's created by, by falsely telling ourselves that, Hey, that's not, that is not something that is bad it just creates more challenge. Like I've seen people go down that path and it, and it it can feel a little bit okay for a little while, but then the dissonance comes back in. And so that's kind of what I was referring, but I, you know, I want to be clear. I 
absolutely believe in surrender. I believe in surrender, surrendering yourself to a higher power and surrendering your, you know, grace. There's an element of grace that is preceded by surrender. Yeah, that's true. I'd say pretty much every time. (laughs) Well, actually on that note of grace, because I just think that grace applies so much to this text and what we're kind of talking about. You and I have had conversations about this, but how do you feel like, can you kind of clarify because our minds work very similar, right? Like the statement of after all you have done, right? Or, or like just, you know, you did your best, right? And I'm like, I I always come back to that and I'm like, absolutely I did not I don't think I've ever done my best in my life like there's always something that I could have done more and like I mean I've even had conversations with other people and they're like well yeah like but you did your best with like what you had and I was like well no like I like I just I just always feel like I could have done more and so like I guess how does grace tie into those thoughts like that and and how do you combat those thoughts because because we work very similarly and so I'd appreciate any tips. <laughs> I'd appreciate if you'd go figure that one out and come tell me. Oh, shoot. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's an ongoing struggle for me because it, it's always been some something that, you know, when someone says, well, as long as you can just tell yourself that you've done your best, that's all that counts. And, no. And I was like, that has never resonated with me because – I think some of the unhealthy aspect comes from this idea of perfection, right? That, mm-hmm. that well, unless I was perfect, then clearly I didn't do my best, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's, mm-hmm. it's an unhealthy aspect of it. I think there is a grace isn't recognizing that, well, there was this perfect outcome and I came up short, but I'm going to cut myself some slack because I came up short, right? Mm-hmm. Grace is the ability to celebrate the journey, not the destination, right? Mm. It's the ability to say, I was in that moment fulfilling the measure of my creation because I was imperfect, right? Like I, I, I am here to learn and to grow and to progress and to, to improve, right? But I, and that is the that is the purpose, right? That's why I'm here. Pausing in that moment to say, could I have done something better? Like it's what happens the moment after you ask that question. When someone says, Well, as long as you did your best, and you're like, Well, I didn't do my best, right? Because I can look back now and see things that I could have and perhaps should have done better. But it's what happens in the moment right after that. Mm-hmm. Is that moment a and and I suck because I didn't do that? Or is is that moment this, oh, I'm so grateful that I'm in this, in, that this is part of the journey. I am fulfilling the measure of my creation. I have I, How amazing is it that I have the ability to look back? It's one of the things that separates us from the animals, right? That I can look back and understand, you know, I can understand the co- concept of yesterday and I can understand the concept of tomorrow and I can live in this moment. You know, yeah. try and explain yesterday to a dog, right? Yeah. 
it's it's one of these things that just really really sets us apart it's part of this human endowment and so it's what happens in that moment after you acknowledge like i used to think it was i need to attack that moment where i'm like well of course i didn't do my best of course there's something i could have done better it's not that moment for me. it's the moment right after where it's like and what does that mean for me am i full oh, of gratitude that i have that ability to look back am, am i full of excitement about the opportunity to take what I can look back and learn and do, or am I, uh, I'm so imperfect and I'm so sick of being imperfect. And it's what I do in the moment after that, that matters. Wow. That was, that was like a really good, like that satisfied a lot of my needs for a definition because I was so unsatisfied with the well, it was like you did the best with what you could. No, I think that's so I actually think that is so good. It's it's the moment after. It's what do you do with that? No, it's so so good. And I think kind of what you're touching on is like it stems back to how does that tie into our de- our identity, right? And how are we going to tie those moments back to our identity? Are we going to say, "Oh man, I didn't do my best and therefore I am a mistake or is it, oh, I didn't do my best, but I'm someone who can continually improve and I made a mistake and here's how I'm going to fix that. Like, you're right. That moment after that, I think that is grace. Yeah. 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 Because in that, that's where you really refine. It's that moment after that, that informs your sense of self, right? Yeah. That, that sense of self is, uh, I'm so not as good as her or him or that person. But if it's, if that moment becomes delicious to you, right. Yeah. Where it's like, I love that moment when I get to look back and say, this journey is so awesome. Right. Yeah. And the process is so amazing. And, and, you know, I, I love the fact that, you know what, I've learned that lesson three times already. And I, I'm hoping like heck this the number four is a, is is the winner, but even if not, I'm just this child of God that's on this path, on this journey. He's walking beside me. I've got some people with me that a lot of the times they're going to be walking the same path and helping me, and and sometimes they're going to fail me. But here is me just loving this journey. Mm-hmm. Yep. Amen to that. Okay. Next question. This one I actually didn't send to you. So you're gonna have to answer on the spot. But where do you think so a lot of a lot of these things that we've been talking about were like like you're saying, like as a parent, like I am going to fail you, right? And but we're talking about the only foundation that that you can base yourself on is Christ. You can't base it on on exactly your parents you can't base it on the fact that you are like smart or you get good grades or you're pretty or whatever like it's basing that foundation on christ and he's just the answer to a lot a lot of things and so my question to you is where where do you think that you would be right now without the influence of god in your life Hmm. it's a great question um i think i would probably I would probably find a lot of things to be very absurd that I find meaningful today. Mm-hmm. I think I would be, I think I would be pretty listless. I mean, even though I have God in my life, I'm still not 
perfect at using, I'm not even good at using him as the only mirror on upon which I base my, that reflects my identity to me, right? Mm -hmm. If, so I would have, I, I've been blessed to have some amazing people in my life. I've had, you know, some of the best role models that I think I could ask for. It, I, I, you know, I, I didn't have that in my dad at all, but I, but God made up for that and put some amazing people in my life. And the power of those people in your life that almost see you as well as God sees you through those godly eyes is that they are people and we can see them and they, they make it more attainable, right? Like I, I've never seen Christ. I've never seen God. I can conceive of them, but they are because of, because of my mortal mind, they are somewhat ethereal to me. Right. But you know, uncle Wally, my, my great uncle that you got to know before he passed and you know, other people in my life, like Grandma Johnson and certainly Grandpa Roe and, you know, some of these other people that when they looked at me, I knew they saw me as, you know, President Bailey, President Child were that way. Like I knew they saw me through eyes that were different than the way that I saw myself, right? Mm-hmm. And because they were human beings that I was interacting with regularly, it was a little bit more believable. So to your question, like, I think I would have a sense of who I am Mm -hmm. because I've had this, I've had some amazing people that almost see me perfectly. I think you are someone in my life that does that as well. Like you see me through these, you know, godly eyes. And so I think I would be, I'm not saying I would be lost and completely, you know, adrift because I have had people that, but, but I, but every one of those people have had, mom- had moments, I'm sure, where they've failed me, right? Mm. And it's like I fail you at times. And so there would be a missing component to it. Like I, I, the conception of God and this individual that sees me perfectly um, mm-hmm. is really important to my understanding of myself. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting because... I think a lot of times, I mean, like I've thought about that question and I'm like, man, I just don't even know. Like I'd just be completely off the rails, right? But I think that was a really interesting answer because I do have these wonderful influences who show me like glimpses of what God's love feels like. But I think if I didn't, I think you're right. If I didn't have like a direct channel to him and and a direct relationship to him, it would be a little bit different. That's interesting. And you have to be really careful about who who you look to, to fill that. Yeah. Like even, you know, it's one of the mistakes that we make most commonly as youth. We, we allow these, these fun house mirrors, you know, that give back these totally distorted views of ourselves. And sometimes it's through the connections that we make. Youth are highly susceptible to connecting with someone who really sees them through a flawed lens and then using, and then they allow that lens to reflect their identity back to them in a very skewed way. Um, And, and so knowing, you know, making sure that you are connecting to that one single perfect source of identity is, is absolutely critical. Yeah. Yeah. On the note of 
I like identity and kind of on the topic of this podcast, just kind of as you've seen this rising generation grow up with the influence of pornography, like why do you think that pornography is so destructive and, and why do you think it's like one of Satan's most effective and prevalent tools? Why do you think that that is? Hmm. I mean, there's a ton like you've had people on your podcast that can talk that, you know, can talk about the data perspective and how it skews the, the way that we view ourselves, our bodies, our sexuality. I think that probably the thing I would point to most is how it objectifies people. Right. Yeah. I, I think we, I think we fail sometimes to understand how critical it is that we avoid any objectification of people, right? Yeah. When when you view some someone as an object of pleasure or an object to be controlled or an object to meet some need in, that you're having or want that you're having, there's just a chain of horrible things that happen in the world through the objectification of, of each other. Yeah. And I think that's that's probably the 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 trait of pornography that I think becomes most dangerous in people's lives is it it it's such a catalyst of objectification. It is true. That's true. It's just like it's crazy because it's like yeah, those people that like you see on the screen, like those are people. Those are like yeah. real people, and it's so easy to make that disconnect and. I mean, when you make that disconnect with pornography, it's like it's much easier to look at the people in your real life and objectify them. And so, no, you're right. I think that is huge. But to anyone listening, not to say that that can't be changed. Like, yes, pornography may have had a huge influence on your brain that way. But since your brain has changed that much through pornography, you're, it can change back. Like the brain is, is an amazing thing. And yeah. There is absolutely power and science and therapy and help out there to change it back. Okay, so we're going to do, we'll do the last two questions. And then if you have like a final message or anything to share, then we can do that too. Okay, so first question, what keeps you on the front lines in the war against pornography? Why? I, I'll just leave it at that. What keeps you on the front lines in the war against pornography? my amazing brave courageous daughter i think that i'm not sure i would spend a whole lot of time and energy on this particular area of the battle but i've been so inspired by and moved by your you know feeling called to it and and, and listening to your podcasts and things that you know it, it it so i think honestly it's the connect the connection to you and i mean there are a lot of battles that I'm really passionate about this particular one. I'm, I think I'm primarily passionate because I am so in awe of your passion about it. Hmm. Fair enough. Thanks. <laughs> um, okay. Final question. What would you say to a young girl who is struggling with pornography right now? Just that you are loved and no matter how dark it, it, it feels you are not darkness. No matter how hopeless it feels, you are not hopeless. Um, the feelings that it 
brings into your heart and into your life, they are not you. Um, you are amazing. You are so lovable and so worthy of love. And, and you're just a, a daughter of God. You're just, you are on a path. Um, there are people that want to walk that path with you. And if you will let God, God will lead you to the people that see you most as he does. And I would say to each, you know, each young woman out there, um, you know, the people in your life that see you in the, as you truly are, and you know, the people in your life that don't. And sometimes when we're not at our best and when we're feeling kind of dark inside, we tend to want to go be with those people that don't see us as God sees us. And sometimes we even get judgmental of those that tend to do, tend to see us because when someone sees us as God sees us, we can sometimes misinterpret that viewpoint as they are when we're not at our best, they're judging us or they, you know, they, they, because they see us the way he does, then they don't see us the way we are. And the truth is he sees us the way God sees us the way we are. And he sees us the way he knows us to be right. Mm -hmm. All of those, the same thing for him. They, 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 they are just a child on a path. And so I would just say, step away from the darkness and go be with someone, your grandma, you know, a teacher, an advisor, an ecclesiastical leader, and just ask them what they see in you and then believe it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So good. Um, I just like, oh, I have to get myself together. Um, but dang it. I just remember like there were times when I was struggling with pornography and um I was feeling super like not worth it and like super alone and I don't even know if you think if if you knew that like pornography was what I was struggling with but there were days when I would just like feel not worth it and like I couldn't even like make it out of bed and um there were oh there were like multiple days where um you would just come and like sit on the side of my bed and and just talk to me or you like sometimes we wouldn't even like talk that much sometimes you would just fall asleep and snore <laughs> but, like but seriously, like, that was, oh, that was one of, like, the most helpful things ever. Like, it did not matter what we were talking about. It didn't matter at all. But just having someone there. And so I say that all to say to parents, kind of as a message to parents, like, you don't know, you don't have to know everything to say. Did my dad just come in and say, hey, you know, we should really talk about the harms of pornography. <laughs> like, no, it just was a matter of connection. 
And yes, there there was still like some times where I needed some correction. Well, that was a little that was cool. <laughs> but but it really was just a matter of connection and there were so many times where it was just connection and there was no no talk about like pornography or sex or anything. But it was just knowing that I had someone there. And again, every situation is is different, but that really was so helpful to me. And so I guess just like thank you for that and all of those things that you said I also echo for any girls listening and I know the impact that that can have and I know that I have felt that whether you said it like like I, I've just felt the impact I, I'd be really curious like what advice you would I mean it, obviously this is the advice you're giving around you know the connection versus correction and which I think is 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 baller advice but what so I suspected, I knew, I I think the first time that I was aware that you had gone to see the bishop, I think you didn't have a boyfriend at that time. And so I assumed, and I, I, I was pretty sure you weren't, you know, sneaking out and hitting, <laughs> taking bong rips all night or anything like that. You don't know, so, you don't know, man. Yeah, I, I assumed it was the case. I... I wasn't worried about it. And I felt like we had, we had, you know, in the, our family, we speak pretty openly about these things. And, and so I just felt like, I remember there were times where I'm like, Hey, she's going through something and she's not talking to me about it. And there were times that it, it hurt a little bit, but only momentarily. And then I would pause and say, listen, this is a, is an amazing kid who is really good at living a self-directed life. And I don't need to, in fact, I remember thinking, I think it's amazing and beautiful if, if she elects to, and is able to get through this process and doesn't need me, like eventually she's going to have to get through, I won't be here forever. And she's going to have to get through processes without me. Right. And Mm so I, so I wonder if you would get what advice you would have for me and other parents. Like, should I have in that moment when I suspected, I would say if we were a family that didn't talk about pornography or didn't talk about, you know, sexuality or things like that, then, then the advice I would have given is, Hey, that stuff has to be out there in the open talking about it. You, you're, you're better off to assume that every kid is going to deal with it or, you know, struggle with it at some point. Yeah. But should I have in those moments, should I have said, hey, so what are you talking to the bishop about or or taking it more head on? Like, should I have said, hey, can I be of any more assistance? And it sounds like you're in a process. You know, how can I help? Like looking back, I have a hard time because like even on that, like unashamed, unafraid episode, I was telling you, they're like, what would you tell that young girl? Right. And I kind of looked at it as like a literal thing. I'm like, well, I wouldn't go back and change anything because I learned exactly what I needed to learn, right? But I mean, then you explained, well, that's like more of a healing process. And I was like, okay. But but yeah, I always have a hard time kind of looking back because I like I tried to just take what I learned and then like move forward. And so literally, I don't think I would have changed anything because I think I did learn what I needed to learn. But if I did have, like, a space for that, because I don't know how to 
best like answer this question because I think that like I think that every situation is kind of different because I think that that was something that I needed to learn on my own. You know what I mean? But maybe I should have, because I I mean, I was regularly having open conversations with your older brother about that. Right. And, and did from the time he was young, just because it's not an if it's a, it's a when and how often, you know, that, that he's going to encounter that. And, and, and I think, yeah, I think I, in hindsight, I think I would have, like in listening to, I loved the podcast with you and your little sister, but in listening to that, I thought, you know, I should have been maybe in a little bit different way, but I should have been as open and as, you know, curious and, and just engaging with you two as your mother and I kind of had this agreement that she would have, when we had daughters, she would have the talk with them and I would have mm-hmm. the talk with the sons. Mm-hmm. Turns out she comes from a family that doesn't talk about the stick. Kind of yeah. <laughs> so I think I never found <laughs> talk to your brother about it, but I think, I think I should have probably gotten a little bit more involved in, in, in being more regularly engaging with, with you and your sister on topic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I always just have a hard time answering these kind of questions, though, because I'm just not a looker backer. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like, okay, that's what we did. Let's move on with it, you know? But I guess, like, let me rephrase the question more just for myself. <laughs> like, moving forward, if there were parents listening, right, that are kind of have those, have kids around that age, age like younger kids, like, Yes. <laughs> to answer your question of whether or not you should have like come and talked to me about it, I would say yes. And I would say don't do it in like a confronting way like, so what are you talking to your bishop about? <laughs> right? But just kind of start with like providing them a space and then I mean, but you can also set boundaries as a parent. Like it's just such a hard question to answer because every situation is is different. Do you know what I mean? So, but general advice, I would say yes, have conversations, have open conversations, and there, I would say, let's abolish this idea of the talk, like, please have it be a continual conversation, but. Yeah, um, I totally agree with that. I, I guess I just struggle with the, it, it's hard for me to set my ego aside as a parent and think, oh my gosh, she's talking to someone about this really hard thing and Mm -hmm. not talking right and I think yeah. I would tell parents listen it truly does take a village like I I am yep. so grateful for I can't tell you how many times I've had the experience of especially with your older brother where he would come back from you know Al Dustin our neighbor across the street who was this amazing young man leader that I learned so much from and was so deeply grateful that your brother had a chance to you know learn from him and go on hikes and you know explore the world and stuff with him and he'd come back and say dad i al just taught me the most amazing thing right and then he'd you know walk me through this lesson that al had taught and i'm like Mm -hmm. what the heck like i've covered that a thousand times i've literally said exact words like a hundred times instead of like i'd have to pause and say oh that al the most amazing guy you know i'm so grateful and so there's part of that that, you know, I, 
I don't love the idea of telling parents, hey, it's okay if your kid has a bunch of people they're telling, you know, their deepest, darkest, difficult things to that they're not sharing with you. That's not what I'm saying. Like, if, if, if you haven't created an environment where your kids, you know, feel safe coming to you, then there's work to be done there. And it's okay. It's okay if they learn some of these lessons from other people and if they yeah. engage other people in the process. And, and hopefully you've built their world in a way that those people are people that are more likely to see them, you know, through God's eyes than, than unlikely to do that. But yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I like, I always say when I'm like presenting, like how, how often and how much your kids are telling you about like their like pornography use or whatever has zero reflection zero direct reflection on you as a parent and thinking that it does like I promise will only only hinder your progress like it kind of ties back to what we were saying about the perfectionistic stuff because like anyway like so parents also please allow yourself grace because yeah yeah it's just different situations and like in my situation, it took me like literally five years to tell my parents that that was the right timing and that that was just, yeah, that was just how it works out. And so, so God's timing sucks. It's like the worst, <laughs> but it is the right timing to all follow. It is all. Sucks sometimes for us. Yeah. <laughs> but in that moment, again, the pause, allow yourself some grace and recognize that his grace is perfect and his timing is perfect. And I, I think that's, I think the other side of that coin also applies. Like I'm always really sheepish. Like when people interact with my kids and, and especially those that have, like, I got a really, really kind message from your aunt Jackie. I think she had just listened to one of your podcasts and, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's all this parental praise in there and, and it's like, Hey, so just so everyone's clear in the same way that when a kid makes a decision that you don't feel like is the best decision, pause and give yourself some grace and recognize that that doesn't mean you're an abject failure as a human being. And, and also everyone out there that thinks I'm an amazing parent because of this amazing girl that is, you know, doing these podcasts recognize that she, she didn't get this stuff from me. Like I, I, I can, I can recognize both sides of that and know that not all of your shortcomings are mine. Although I certainly passed a lot of them on <laughs> around the idea of perfection and grace mm-hmm. and not all of your, you know, I, I didn't create the, the wins either. I, I just love being on the path with you. I think one of the questions you had said is if you could give, parent, you know, if you could change one thing about your parenting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's it. I just would have gotten over myself earlier. I, I would have. I would have had more fun. I would have allowed love to rule every moment. I would have found a way much, much. I came with a lot of fears from my upbringing. I, I brought a lot of fear into my world from my upbringing. Mm-hmm. I even objectified my kids a lot, meaning, you know, if they weren't objects that were bringing me honor and glory and, and praise and, and, and ease and simplicity, then, you know, then they, 
then they they weren't right right and and that's the objectification of kids is 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 generally what leads to some of their worst behaviors because it really really distorts their identities yeah. and so I, I didn't do that well in in many cases but I would have just gone back and and recognized like I brought so much fear yeah. and and I to let go of that fear. The, we often think that the opposite of love is hate and it's not at all. The opposite of love is fear. And so when you let go of that fear that I won't be a good parent or my kids will reflect poorly on me and all of that fear and replace it with love, it, hate is just a product. It's a byproduct of fear. It's, mm-hmm. it's not the opposite of love. It's just a byproduct of fear. And so I just would have I just would have taken, I would have gotten over myself a lot earlier and just taken myself less seriously and, and laughed more and had more fun and, and just replaced every aspect of fear with love. Yeah. I mean, easier said than done, but no, I I think that's true. And okay. I think like this ties directly into what you're saying is the scripture that's the perfect love casteth out all fear. And I think that's so true. And I love that you said the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear because it's true. We, we, we tangented. I don't know if that's a verb, but we did that for sure. <laughs> but you know what? We gave everyone a warning. So. Tangentizing. Tangent. Yeah. To- yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did. But you know what? Everyone had a warning. So if you're still listening, it's your fault. <laughs> No, just kidding. I'm so glad if you're still listening. I think that was an awesome episode. Okay, do you have, before we kind of wrap things up, do you have a final message to share anything you feel like you're leaving out? Just that I think you're amazing. I think I'm so proud of how mission-driven you are. I am, you know, I loved when you first brought this to me and said, hey, I think I, I have a calling here. I think I would, I would, the world would be very different if everyone listening to this podcast and everyone with whom they shared the ideas of it would pause and say, okay, well, what's my mission and how do I get passionate about sharing that message? You know, so I, I guess that would be it just that I'm, I'm super proud of you and, and love, love the, the journey that you're on. I love the battles that you engage. I am inspired and moved and and challenged by you. And, and I'm grateful for the times that you have shown me grace, not just shown me grace with your example, but given grace to me. And, and I love you. Aww. I love you too. I love it. And I love the uh, the call to action to to anyone listening. Definitely do have the courage to get on your knees and ask God for more clarity about what your mission is, because there is a mission for you. And it's things that are bigger than you can even think of. And I just always say, but I just echo my homie Dieter F. Uchtdorf. God will do something unimaginable. And he really will. And so, well, thank you for coming on, Dad. You're the best. Also, I didn't even, like, say your name, but it's his name is Ben Davis, for anyone wondering, I guess. So you can look up his beard. Oh, wait, we're going to cut that out. <laughs> no, we're not anymore. <laughs> okay, anyway. 
<laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you have a story to share, please reach out to me on Instagram at Sisters on the Front Lines or via email at Sisters on the Front Lines at gmail.com. Please remember to learn to love the war. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it and give the podcast a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so we can reach more young women, parents, and leaders. And until next episode, keep up the good fight on the front lines. Bye. Okay, we're totally continuing, but this ep- this is just an episode of continuing. Um, but this will be short. Uh, we just, like, we stopped recording and I was like, man, like, there's still so many questions. And we kind of were wanting to do a little bit, like... Like, I, w- I was wanting to ask a little bit more, like, deeper dive into, like, the there is only war, you know? Yeah, I I think that would be fascinating. Honestly, as I read it through, it, it had been a while since I had read through it. But as I read through it on the podcast, there were several areas that um, that I think my thinking has, has kind of evolved and, and that I remember the moment of why I included that line. And um I'd be fun to chop it up and go through. I, I, I love the idea. Uh, I love the idea of Valhalla. I'm not sure I'm applying it correctly, but I love, you know, the thought. I've never been a huge fan of this idea that we get to the other side and it's harps and clouds and yeah. select wires and stuff. And I'd, I'd love to unpackage some of that. We spent a little bit of time on the, um, the idea of surrender, um, but yeah. there's concepts in there that might be, fun or interesting to dive into maybe we we no. do one where we go through line by line i agree i mean i, I don't want to refer to it like it's some ca- canonized text at all but i think <laughs> interesting ideas and and i love chatting with you i love yeah back to the onion with you yeah no i agree i agree i think i think honestly we really should do that because now i'm getting like hyped about that so um i guess as a continued outro if if you guys are interested in that, let me know. Actually, I'm probably just going to do it either way. Hopefully, you guys are interested. If you're not, good thing God gave you agency, so you don't have to listen to that one. <laughs> but <laughs> but it will... No, I that seriously like sounds so interesting to me. So stay tuned for that. I'm sure that will be coming in the near future. And um, Basically, what we're saying is we were supposed to do that on this one, but... <laughs> kicked in and we <laughs> went tangentizalizing and yeah yada 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 here we are two hours yeah later. and then suddenly two hours passed it was so weird <laughs> but yeah stay tuned for that um if you want to see maybe updates on that um follow the instagram at sisters on the front lines and i'll probably post a little bit more about it okay thanks for listening bye